Municipal Stadium in Cleveland. And another overflow crowd squeezes inside this Lakeshore Stadium to watch the Browns. They are here in sellout numbers to see 60 minutes of violence ending in a Browns victory. Majority of the fans have become animals, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down like back in the good old Roman very days. Violent. Cleveland will satisfy them on both counts. My philosophy, first of all, is I love to win. I'm like you. I play to win, and I wouldn't give two cents for any young man who didn't try his best to win. But trying his best is the important thing. I do not believe in this win-at-all-cost philosophy. In other words, I do not believe in going out recruiting illegally, cheating, or that type of thing in order to win. When faint-hearted prepare to concede, the Browns battle back, led by Jim Brown, Superman in path. We must play one game at a time, and for only that game has real importance to us. We must prepare, execute, and win that one game. It's the only way. Hello there, it's your pal Al here, and welcome to the Brown and Orange Alchemical Report. For this very first episode, we are going to be looking back at the 2021 Brown season, specifically about the Chargers game that happened at the very beginning of the year. The reason that we're starting here instead of what has happened over the offseason is because I didn't want the first episodes to be about Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield, and the quarterback drama that has continued to play Cleveland like some biblical curse that only occurred in ancient Egypt. This episode was actually recorded a while ago after the Super Bowl had been played, so if it does sound old because... Players are no longer on the team. Situations have changed. It is because it is old. So please join me as we travel back in time, just a few months, to when this episode was recorded. The reason why we're starting with the Chargers game is because I honestly think it's one of the best games that happened last season. I think if it was a little bit more competitive during the second and third quarter, I think you're probably looking at the game of the year. But without that competitive unpredictableness, the game loses a little bit of the shine on its veneer. Even though I think most media people will say that it's one of the best games of the year, regardless of those few quarters when it looked like the Browns were just going to stomp on the Chargers. You know, unfortunately for us, that didn't happen. But I still think there's a ton to learn from that game and what had occurred. The reason I think this game is so important is because it is a great mesh points between schematic changes that are going to occur within the next five years to possibly even a decade in the NFL from a tough ground game by the Browns to the Vic Fangio quarters defense that Brandon Staley has made his calling card in the NFL. We also saw two teams that had been incredibly aggressive on fourth down and on punting and kicking situations during the year basically ignore their special teams play for the most part. And I think that part of the game will be a window into the future as more teams start to model their approaches off of the Browns and Chargers when it is in those obvious kicking situations. Lastly, I think one of the most important parts of this game are the coaches themselves. Brandon Staley, for example, is the media darling of the NFL. Very rarely does anyone have anything bad to say about him, except for former coaches who have been forced out of the league or players who have had to retire early that question the analytics philosophy that he proposes. Instead, they'd rather rely on their gut, which has only landed them on ESPN, 
Fox Sports 1 and has essentially kicked them out of the league. And as for Stefanski, we in Cleveland know exactly how special he is. And while he's not the media darling that Brandon Staley is, it's mainly because he hasn't had the opportunities to give these thoughtful answers to strategic questions regarding the meta of the NFL. Instead, our beat reporters ask him about whatever player beefs that they're either observing or imagining every single week, regardless of who the players are, their importance, whether the player left a while ago, and everything in between. And what this does ultimately is just rob Stefanski of being this viral sensation, answering questions about, you know, fourth down aggressiveness, the pass versus the run game, setting the tone, and, you know, everything else you'll see on your Twitter feed come the season. Despite that, Stefanski still has tons of fans in the NFL media, whether it be Mina Kimes at ESPN or Robert Mays at The Athletic. Everyone in the media who speaks to Stefanski speaks of him very highly once they get on TV, podcasts, hell, even long-form journalism, which I thought was dead, but is still propagated by talented writers like Bill Barnwell. I think it's no secret that the two young coaches will be the future of the league for hopefully decades to come. Hopefully we've found our Mike Tomlin and Stefanski, and I wish nothing but the best for Brandon Staley, except for the one to maybe two times we'll have to play him year after year. I think that a lot of NFL teams will be modeling their organizations off of the Browns and the Chargers. You're already starting to see it in Minnesota with the Vikings and Kwesi Adolfo Menza, who was the Browns' assistant GM. Heck, you might even think of him as the day-to-day GM, as Andrew Barry had given Kwesi a lot of responsibilities with the team and being one of the real people in the front office to interact with the players on a daily basis. While we as fans may begrudge pro football focus for their makeshift analytics, hopefully we do see the pendulum swing towards analytics within the future of the NFL. We've seen it happen a lot in the other two sports in America, baseball and basketball, and I think it'll be a good thing in football as well. Some of the advanced analytics, and I'm not talking about the pro football focus grades, which are made up, uh, gobbledygook, have been extremely helpful for your average fan. And I'm talking about stats like expected points added, completion percentage over expected, rushing yards over expected, essentially any stats that help deepen the fans' understanding of the games while serving as conversation starters for most of us. During the offseason, I will be releasing a few episodes about some of these more advanced metrics and stats, but either way, it looks like the NFL is going to start leaning more and more onto these analytics, and I think the Browns and Chargers are going to be models for most teams and organizations going forward. One of the major questions of analytics so far has been, How important is a strong pass game versus a strong running game? And how do defenses mitigate these highly explosive offenses, either both in the running or the passing game, in the ever-changing NFL landscape? Many people in the analytics side of the game will state that defenses don't matter, that they are not sticky enough, that they are not indicative of future success, and that smart teams will just solely focus on their offense 
And that discussion is exactly why the Browns and Chargers game is so important for us to look back at. Because as you know, with the Chargers, they have Justin Herbert, who is a bona fide star. I mean, he is amazing. He pretty much single-handedly beat us. And while they have that explosive passing game, Brandon Staley is a defensive coach who, again, is widely known for his defensive prowess. And on the other hand, you have the Browns, who with Kevin Stefanski is an offensive team. But if we're being honest here, our defense, led by Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, and so on and so forth, have basically led us to most victories in the last three seasons. With a ton of help from Kareem Hunt and the greatest running back in the NFL, and I don't give a damn what the stats say, except for rushing yards over expected, where this man leads, Nick Chubb, who, again, is basically our offense when times get tough. So this Browns-Chargers game was a very analytically yin-yang type of approach where both teams are committed to analytics and... How they get wins based in analytics are based in two different philosophies. On one hand, with the Browns, you have this very strong run game and a very strong defense. And while the analytic nerds out there will tweet, you can't win NFL games by running the ball and holding onto the clock. This isn't, you know, the 1950s, the 1960s, the 1970s, the 1980s, the 1990s, the 2000s. This is 2020, man. This is the time where we got to pass. Everything needs to be explosive offenses, points scoring all the time. And while they do have points there, it still seems like the Browns have been highly competitive, committing to this old school style. Although we might see this change in the future, depending on who the quarterback is. Now, if the nerds aren't hurting their thumbs, tweeting about how you can't win using a strong running game, they're hurting their thumbs, tweeting about how good the Chargers passing attack is and how amazing Justin Herbert is. And that is true. Unfortunately for the Chargers this year, their defense was a sieve. While Brandon Staley is a defensive head coach, he is not a miracle worker. The Chargers defense that he acquired was not set up to play his way. Despite having Joey Bosa and Derwin James, two fantastic stars in their own right, the other nine players on the field were brought in to be these traditional cover three guys, which Brandon Staley famously does not run. Often, that is. After all, he is a defensive coach and one of the best ones there. He knows how to play cover three. However, analytics just tells us it's not that effective unless you have the Legion of Boom to help you out back there. After all, they popularized it for the past decade. For those of you who are wondering what exactly is Cover 3, it is a type of coverage that it helps prioritize run defense over pass defense where you have one of your safeties playing on the deep end, making sure no one gets past him, usually playing hash mark to hash mark, Although there are rare safeties like Earl Thomas with the Legion of Boom or Ed Reed, unfortunately, who can play sideline to sideline. But those guys are extremely rare. Those guys playing up high on the back half of the defense allows the other safety to help the run game by fitting into one of the gaps left open. As the offense has eight holes to run the ball through, but the defense only has that front seven 
to defend that area. So in the cover three, everyone gets a gap, including the safety that's coming down. Think Cam Chancellor and, you know, to some extent, Troy Polamalu. Not to re-traumatize any Browns fans, but those safeties that make an impact in the run game, they're doing so because cover three allows them to come down and play that run game. However, in the cover four quarters universe that Brandon Staley and Vic Fangio have mastered, you get both safeties, the free and the strong safety, playing in that back half of your defense instead of just putting all that responsibility on one guy to cover the passing area, you're putting it on two. Unfortunately, this means that you got to take the safeties out of the run fit, although that's not technically true because they do have responsibilities for both A-gaps. Think John Johnson the third, triggering down, trying to fit the A-gap in some run plays and some play-action plays. Uh, for example, think of the Texans game when... Denzel Ward gets burned by Nico Collins. Well, yeah, he kind of got screwed because John Johnson was supposed to be in the area covering him. Unfortunately, the play action drew John Johnson straight to the A gap, leaving Nico Collins on an island against Denzel Ward with inside leverage. But ultimately, they are not involved in the run game to the level that they would be in cover three. With both safeties putting an emphasis on the passing defense in cover four, this means that the front seven are responsible for all the holes in the rushing game and that they must play each gap because they won't get that help from the strong safety. The way defenses maintain these gaps is by making the defensive linemen play a primary gap and a secondary gap. So they are responsible for two gaps. Sometimes people call it one and a half gaps. And as they play both gaps, the linebackers help clean up anything that gets through. All that to say, Brandon Staley was put in a difficult position where his defense, personnel-wise, was meant to penetrate, while his defensive philosophy called for his front seven players to maintain their gaps instead of just penetrating through it. Long story short, I think that the Chargers defense will be much better next year and this year was an aberration and they will fix it up in free agency in the draft maybe Jordan Davis can come to help them but back to what really matters the Cleveland Browns and specifically our run game versus this defense we absolutely destroyed them I think we had 220 some yards six point yards per carry and well the Chargers defense might not be up to snuff to what they usually will be. The Browns will be seeing a lot of quarters because it is the future of the NFL. Hell, the Browns played a ton. As long as we have Nick Chubb, as long as we have Kareem Hunt, we should stack up very well against defenses playing quarters because they're just two phenomenal backs. I mean, Kareem Hunt is probably the most underrated back in the league. People forget that he's the former rushing yards leader and we as Browns fans can't praise Nick Chubb enough even though everyone now knows that he's one of the top three backs of the league so as more teams move out of cover three into more quarters two high shells defenses Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt's production should improve greatly over the next upcoming years as long as we're keeping their carries low keep them split 
you know, we don't want to ride Nick Chubb and Kareem into the dirt, even though I know a lot of people wanted to do that this year. Now, I'd specifically like to address some schematic things that the Browns are doing in the run game, because I think the Browns are the best running team in the NFL. I know a lot of people think that the 49ers are because Kyle Shanahan and their run game have been amazing, how they use Debo, how they use Trent Williams. However, what makes the Browns run game so special is that it's diverse, where the Browns run both wide zone concepts and gap concepts, while a team like the 49ers will only essentially run wide zone concepts. And while they diversify how they get to wide zone concepts with either Debo, Trent Williams, or Juszczyk, they just are not good at running gap concepts with pullers, and that's one of the major reasons why they lost their playoff game was because they called a gap play and their running back couldn't execute the play. He read it wrong. The puller ended up opening up a hole for him, but he read the block wrong and went inside and got tackled for a loss instead of getting the first down, allowing them to extend the drive and go for the game-winning touchdown. And that's something that you won't see the Browns do. So while we don't, you know, add these accoutrements with the run game where we have offensive tackles lining up at tight end, fullbacks lining up at wide receiver, the Browns do know how to run gap concepts, pulling concepts, just as well as they know how to do their bread and butter wide zone. And the wide zone is what has taken over the NFL. That's that Kyle Shanahan tree that includes McVay, LaFleur, Arthur Smith. Hell, even Kevin Stefanski gets gets there by gets there by his work with Clint Kubiak, who's the son of Gary Kubiak, who worked with the wide zone with Mike Shanahan in the nineties and two thousands. So as more and more teams are hiring Offensive coordinators who are well-versed in wide zone running attacks, you need that diversity with the gap scheme to keep defenses on their toes. It's very easy now for defenses to game plan against these wide zone attacks because they just see them week for week. Their defenders know what to do. When the offensive tackle goes lateral, when they go horizontal, the defensive linemen are just meant to keep running with them. And that restricts the hole for running backs. So it's good for teams to keep the defenses guessing by running these gap power schemes with pulling guards, pulling tackles. And for the Browns, I mean, let's be real here. There's nothing better than seeing Wyatt Teller with this runway path on his way to destroy a linebacker, a safety, and the best of all is a cornerback. He just folds all of those people in half creating a super highway for the running back, whether it be Chubb, Hunt, or Dearnest. So the Browns are ahead of the game in their meta strategy. Even though it may not seem that way because of the league's focus on the passing game, their run game is still highly advanced. And one of the ways the Browns have been able to have this highly advanced run game is by their use of personnel. Instead of relying on 13 personnel, which is one running back, one tight end, and three wide receivers, we know that they love to use their tight ends where they might only have one wide receiver and all three tight ends, but with those tight ends, you can get a lot of versatility in their running game and how they present looks, whether it's from lining up all three guys on the line 
or by using Harrison Bryant as their fullback and getting very distinct looks from defenses, basically tipping their hands so that they can defend the run. Now, I know a lot of people are not happy with the idea of playing three tight ends. However, it is best for the Browns and probably for most teams. As the league has gone through a passing phase, defenses have been forced to change how they play their base defense. Before, teams either used to play a 3-4 or a 4-3, but now everyone plays a nickel defense as their base defense. Everyone emphasizes that nickel cornerback over their third linebacker. I mean, look at what the Browns do with Troy Hill and Sion Takitaki. 20 years ago, Sion is probably a three-down starter. Now he's very rarely to play more than two downs any given drive. And the Browns went out of their way to sign Troy Hill and draft Greg Newsom on top of having Denzel Ward, one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL, and Greedy Williams, who has been oft injured but can play. And this is excluding the talks of safeties replacing linebackers, too. That's how much the NFL has changed. It used to be you couldn't think about football without thinking about linebackers. Thinking about my childhood, the first football players that come to mind are Brian Erlacher, Ray Lewis. Again, I don't mean to traumatize, but god damn have we been screwed when it comes to having generational talent within the division. And while Andre Davis and Dequell Jackson have always been two of my favorite Browns players, that linebacker position and its importance in the defense has fallen off a cliff. While they used to be the heart and soul of one, they are now the outman looking in as cornerbacks and safeties continue to replace them. And that's what makes the Browns going into 13 personnel with the three tight ends so effective in today's modern NFL game because it forces defenses to trot out their linebackers that they stop caring about because of the rise in safeties, corners, and what other positions. And NFL teams no longer have the body types to cover three tight ends in either the run game or the pass game. Just recently, a PFF employee looked at expected points added league-wide over personnel, and it came out that 21 personnel had a higher EPA per play than the more popular 11 personnel. And I think it's safe to assume that the same thing can be said about 13 personnel. The study was looking for more macro trends in the NFL. In fact, I believe the study was inspired by the Raiders and their uptick in 12 personnel with Darren Waller on the field. To once again recenter the Browns into the conversation, we can look at the Patriots game from earlier this year when the Browns got blown out by the Patriots, unfortunately. One of the many reasons the Browns had such troubles with the Patriots was because of their emphasis on 12 personnel that Bill Belichick made during the last offseason when he brought in Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith. Bringing in those two tight ends allowed the Patriots to emphasize their run game and their play-action game while forcing the Browns to play Sion Takitaki and Mac Wilson Sr. on the field. And as we all know, we don't want either of those guys playing a significant amount of snaps for us. Instead, we'd rather have Greedy Williams or Troy Hill playing as they are our best 11th and 12th defender, while Sion Takitaki is probably our like 13th best or, or even lower than that, and Mac Wilson would be even lower than him. So something to look forward to in the next NFL season is more teams using tight ends to force linebackers onto the field and give them more advantageous looks in the run game and in the pass game. 
So while fans might have not been ecstatic to see that Njoku, Hooper, and Harrison Bryant were all on the field, it definitely made the most sense for the Browns offense, and that excludes the wide receiver problems that the Browns faced all season. And while Hooper will probably be gone by the end of next month, I still expect the Browns to use a heavy amount of 12 and 13 personnel in the 2022 season. That said, the formation is obviously not without faults. It is not nearly an explosive passing attack as 11 personnel, and hopefully the Browns fix the wide receiver problems so that we can create explosive offensive plays without relying on just a run game, which is never a great solution for explosive offense. That's your steady four, three, five-yard carries that give lifeblood to a drive, but it doesn't create explosive offense like having three wide receivers on the field. The need for an explosive passing attack is the Browns' biggest offseason need, in my opinion, outside of maybe you know some defensive line help. I'm not sure if Clowney will come back, if we'll be able to draft Jordan Davis and whatnot. However, for the offense to get fixed, it needs to become an explosive passing attack. It makes no sense for the Browns to focus an offense completely on short and intermediate games, especially with how strong our run game is. We need a passing attack that can complement that strong run game. And last year, our passing attack felt more like a carbon copy of the run game, where no matter what, we would get five yards a gain. And while that's not a bad thing, defenses, modern NFL defenses, are betting against an offense consecutively stringing together 10 to 15 play drives to get down the field and score. They'll take those games anytime because they just need to get lucky once or twice. The offense needs to get it right every single time. And those extended drives bring me to the last point in this Browns versus Chargers game. Special teams don't matter anymore. Your kickers, your punters, screw them. Kick them out. We are done with them. The NFL and football is no longer a game of territory. It's not every inch wins. It's every point counts. And I know that might sound a little hypocritical because I am including kickers into this conversation. And you can look at me and say... Hey, you know, the Bengals just went to a Super Bowl because of their kickers. They were three points away from tying the game. But that's also my point. They were a touchdown away from winning the game. And while the Bengals got very lucky this postseason with their kicker, and especially drafting a kicker, because we've all seen how that goes in the fifth round. We got Austin Cyber, and they got some Evan McPherson guy. Because that's what special team is. It's largely luck-driven. And playing the game aggressively allows you to need less luck. In a very similar sense, it's like basketball, where being a 50% shooter inside the paint will score you less points than being a plus 30% shooter from the three-point line. The same thing can be said in football, where if you get into your opposing territory and score a touchdown every other drive, you will actually get more points than scoring a field goal every possession. Unless you have a generational talent like Phil Dawson or Justin Tucker, there's really no reason to kick a field goal early on if you don't need it. 
field goal should be like a break in case of emergency fire extinguisher or axe. They shouldn't be your lead weapon or the first tool that comes to mind during a game. They're not reliable long term. And while they may win you one or two games a season, that's probably about it. And that's not exactly something you want to dump your resources into. I know I've seen a lot of people advocating drafting a kicker, drafting a punter, but that really isn't necessary. I think the best thing for the Browns to do would be to sign a punter or kicker from one of the spring leagues. I can't remember if the XFL is playing this year. I believe the USFL is playing, but just grab the best kicker or punter in that league. Don't spend draft capital on it. It's not worth it. The Browns didn't lose the Chargers game because of their kicking. Chase McLaughlin kicked a perfect game. They lost it because the Chargers kicker sucked, and that made Brandon Staley hyper-aggressive while causing Stefanski to get lulled into this false sense of security. The turning point of the game for the Chargers was going for it on 4th and 7 from their own territory. I believe it was around their 30-yard line. That would have put the Browns in certain scoring position. And what caused the Browns to lose the game was punting the ball in a very similar situation. However, they were up one or two points and they thought that they could hold the Chargers off and close out the game. That was not the case. The Chargers went down to score immediately and then the Browns turned it over on their last possession to end the game. However, that could have possibly been avoided if the Browns had gone for it on 4th and 6th, and that's a very aggressive and ballsy decision, so I don't want to judge Stefanski too hard. However, it was essentially a mere situation of what the Chargers did, and it rewarded them immensely while punting caused the Browns to lose the game. So look for special teams to get the boot going forward as more and more teams become more and more aggressive and start going for it either in field goal situations or on fourth down and punting situations. Because at the end of the day, ask any offensive player and they'll tell you they want to make that play. They don't want to leave it up for some kicker who doesn't interact with any of their teammates that spend the halftime watching whatever halftime show they have. That offensive guy will not want the game decided by that guy. That's not me saying that kickers are bad people, even though I think they are. Just that that offensive star, whether it be the running back, wide receiver, and hopefully the quarterback, want the ball in their hands to end the game. And kickers should be left in the hallway in one of those glass boxes with spray paint that says, break in case of emergency, when you need to trot them out from the 30-yard line with three seconds left. That is the perfect time for a kicker. When there's no time left to score the touchdown, that's their time to shine. So please end all kicking discourse from here on out. No more narratives about how kickers are so important because they're not. They're not. They're not going to become important. They have had their time to shine. But as the NFL moves to a more explosive offense in both yards and in touchdowns, kicking, whether it be through punting or field goals, are going to matter less and less as time goes on and teams become more aggressive. And on that note, we conclude our very first episode. Thank you all for listening, and we will be back shortly. When you begin to evaluate the Cleveland Browns season, your first temptation is to point to one play or one game or one man and say this is why the Browns retained their crown. However, this is impossible. 
Their continued success was the result of many factors, starting with team desire and determination, the ability to capitalize on the big break, the ability to avoid making the big mistake. Who knows? Maybe you can stare too hard at something, huh? Drain out the virtue, suck out the living juice. You shoot the great places, the pretty people, all those girls, 